We're going to look at uh, a lot of scripture tonight, but uh, in Revelation 15, we will be focusing on one particular phrase or characteristic of one verse. Revelation 15, let's read verses 1 and 2. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God." Now, as we mentioned last time, uh, this is the great and marvelous wrath of God. And it's hard to understand how you could call it great and marvelous. But when you know who God is, there are two sides uh, to God that you must know. When you go through the scripture, um, there are two things that are, are mentioned where it says God is. Now, it's not such as God is a spirit. We know that. But when it's talking about these particular characteristics, um, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to look at 1 John. 1 John. First, we're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to look at 1 John. Chapter, I'm sorry, I said two, but it uh, should have been one. Chapter one. Does anyone need a handout, by the way, while we're turning there? If you need a handout, please raise your hand. We have, um, we have some very faithful men who are just, they're solid. It's what it is. They're really solid. They, um, they can help. They know how to hand things out. Oh, I didn't realize Dustin was okay. Well, he's a... He is a man, though. I will say that. He is a man. I like to tease Dustin. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, 1 John chapter 1. Okay, did you find it? It says, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, God is light. Now look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 mentions it more than once, but we'll look at verse number 16. 416, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And that balance of God being love and light is very important to understand God. Many people will focus on the second characteristic in chapter 4. God is love. And they say, well, I can't believe in a God who would do anything that they wouldn't do uh, as far as punishment or judgment. It's because they don't remember, maybe they don't believe, that there is another part of God. God is light. So those two characteristics, we'll come back to that after a while. But we start there because notice in Revelation 15 that he said there's a, a great and marvelous sign. Well, what's great and marvelous about what we see coming in these vials. Well, you have to go back and look at the character of God. Who is God? And uh, so we're, we're going to do that tonight. First John was where we were. Let's go back to Revelation 4. 
Now, we've seen so far in verse 1, seven angels, uh, they're holding seven plagues, and we've seen that for the last 6,000 years, the, the, uh, God has been showing His love and His grace and His kindness and long-suffering and compassion and forgiveness and, and all of those things, the, the things that we are so thankful for from God. But, while that's happening, it's almost as if His love and His grace and compassion is like uh, the Hoover Dam. And behind that, there is a lake that's filling up called the wrath of God. And while his compassion and forgiveness are withholding his judgment, it is not keeping that wrath from filling up. It is continually filling up. And, and, and so that's what verse number one's about. Then in verse two, we see this throng of victors. There's this great group of people. He said... They, they are, verse number two, they, these are them that had gotten the victory over the beast. Now, these are not church-age saints who were raptured before the tribulation period. These are tribulation saints who had gotten the victory over the beast. Now, look at Revelation chapter 4, if you would. We're going to talk mostly tonight about where they are standing. Where are these Saints standing. Notice it said in verse chapter 4, verse number 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. All right, so we have the sea of glass, verse number uh, 6 there. And in chapter 15, verse 2, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And uh, so back to chapter 15, verse 2. You can see it says there's a sea of glass mingled with fire. And then it says on the, uh, at the end of the verse, they are standing on the sea of glass having the harps of God. So what are we seeing here is the throne of God in chapter 4, the throne that is sitting on the sea. And the sea is not a liquid sea, but it is solid. It's crystallized. It's frozen. This is what John saw in heaven. I want to show you this video very, very fast. I ran across it the other day. And you can watch this guy. He's in, uh, let me see what it said. What was it? The High Tatras Mountains in Slovakia. Look at this guy. If you would, play the video. Can you believe that? That's how clear and clean this lake is. It's translucent. And the guy's walking on on ice. Okay? So in a, in a way, that's what we are seeing here in Revelation 15, Revelation 4. We're seeing this sea of glass. All right? But we're going to go into it. We're going to see a little bit more about it. Let me say, first of all, that the sea of glass reflects the glory of God. It reflects the glory of God. Why is that? Well, it's made of some type of frozen water, and water reflects. So you have artists who love to paint uh, water into a landscape. There was a, an artist 10, 20 years ago, I can't remember when it was, but uh, he was very well known for painting reflections, and then the reflection actually was the mirror image of a second object, like a bird flying, um, something like that. Anybody remember that artist? It was very popular. So it'd be always water with reflection and the bottom side would reflect the top and then it would create another 
little picture. And uh, artists like to do that because water it, it increases, that reflection kind of increases, it reflects the focal point of the picture. So now, not only it's like having um, a light on a painting, now it's focusing, it's telling you where to look. And that's kind of what uh, this is all about. The sea of glass is reflecting the focal point of the universe, which is the throne of God. So you would see this huge thing of glass, and then you would see the reflection. I have a picture up there. Now, this is uh, not a very good picture, um, but it's just an idea um, that it's, it, you can see this, this huge throne, and the scripture tells us there's an emerald rainbow uh, around the throne, and then this glass out in front of it. And uh, you can see there's something like beasts or whatever. Now, we know that there are beasts, but not necessarily um, right around the throne. It seems like the beasts are under the throne, and we'll see that in a little bit. So, first of all, the sea of glass is reflecting. It's reflecting the glory of God. So, you, they're standing on a reflection of everything that is under them is a reflection of who God is. And uh, the only reason why they're there is because of God. And so, they have the opportunity to stand, actually, right on his reflection. It's nothing more than the platform from which God displays his glory. The glory of God reflected there on this sea of glass. Number two, the sea of glass is above the third heaven. All right, so in Scripture you have three heavens. Paul talked about being caught up to the third heaven, right? So first of all, that first heaven is the atmosphere. That's where the birds fly, the planes fly. That is from the ground up to the clouds. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is what we call outer space. That's where the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets are. And then the third heaven is the abode of God. And so this is beyond the constellations, this is beyond the galaxies, beyond the stars, uh, whatever. We can't see that. It's way yonder up there. It's not something that is even visible. I want you to see, though, why it's not visible to a telescope. Let's go to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. And look, if you would, at verse number one, Psalm 148. We've done some uh, research on this and some study on it before, but I want to come back around and hit it again. Psalm 148, look at verse 1. He says, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. So we're way up there. Praise ye him, all his angels, praise ye him, all his hosts. These are up in the third heaven. Then he says, Praise ye him, sun and moon, praise him, all ye stars of light. That's the second heaven. And then he says, Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Now, that phrase is not there just to say it. It's there to tell us a little bit about what is above the heavens. All right? Look, if you would, at Job. Go back one book to the book of Job. The book of Job, and look at verse uh, chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Some of you will remember uh, this material, and we'll go even further than we did last time. Job chapter 9, look at verse 5. Here is talking about the Lord and, and, and his wrath and judgment. It says, Job 9, 5, which removeth the mountains, and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. 
uh, pillars of the earth. It's not talking about the ball standing on pillars, but the pillars inside of the earth. Okay. Uh, Verse 7, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the what? Stars. So we're in outer space. Which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Hold on a second. Did we come back to earth? I don't think so, because of verse 9, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. We're talking about outer space here, beyond. There's some waters out there. And uh, if that sounds crazy to you, isn't it true that the number one thing they're looking for on these planets is water? Why? Because that's the necessary to sustain life. And uh, I just read somewhere recently how someone has, be able, has been able to take, I think it was actually a robot, uh, artificial intelligence, was able to create water out of the minerals that are found on Mars. And it showed how it was going to do this, you know. Uh, I don't know, but I know this. The scripture indicates that above the heavens, there's some waters up there. And, it, and here, the Lord is treading upon the waves of the sea. You say, well, that's the waves of the sea. Well, yeah, I mean, he definitely did that when he was here on earth. But uh, this is speaking of water that's in outer space somewhere near Arcturus and Pleiades and so forth. Let's take, let's take our Bibles to the very first chapter. The very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at how that creation, the Lord actually formed this. Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, this is before the Atlantic or the Pacific was created. All right, so where, what is this? Look at verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament, that's a space, uh, in the midst of the waters. That's between the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. So I want you to think about it. He's not spreading it out horizontally. He's spreading it out vertically. He's saying there's going to be some waters down below, and there's going to be some waters above. And what is in between there? The firmament. Space. Space, okay? Well, let's look at verse number 8. God called the firmament heaven. That's the space called heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. So then, watch this. After that day was done, the next day, God made the oceans. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters. Where are these waters? They're under the firmament. Under the heaven. These waters that are down below, the land is there. He put the land together, and then he took the, the, the waters that were under the firmament. He gathered together and called them capital S Seas. Here, here they are, the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Indian, and so forth. And God saw that it was good. So we're talking here about waters that are above the heavens. Waters that are above the heavens. Way, way, way up there. All right, now, Roman numeral three. I think it might be Roman number three, if I remember. Uh, the sea of glass hides the throne of God. 
All right, now we're going back to the book of Job. Let's look at Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26. Uh, I have to admit that sometimes, if you've been raised in church all your life, you have this general thing about, we don't know where God is, we have no idea, he's somewhere, and he's there, and he's kind of, he's really real, but he's not really real, physically, but he's real, but he's not real. Well, sometimes when you, if you're not careful, you don't... When you're not looking at the scripture and taking it literally, you forget that it is a real God who made a real universe that we are really in and that we are really going to see him someday. I mean, it's, and that's really cool. Uh, We're not here by ourselves floating on some uh, planet lost in space. We're not. God is at work and there is a place that God lives and it's just as real as Toledo, Ohio. It's even nicer than Toledo. Job chapter 26. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Job 26. Look at verse number 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. That's that in that space that he made, the firmament. He, hide, he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. Now it's interesting. It, you get up up in the uh, in space. Uh, we call it out. We'd call it outer space. You know, things start to float. And you say, well, what holds it there? Well, God's law holds it there. Just like the law of gravity makes things fall to the ground, when you get out in space, things float. And God hung the earth on nothing. Imagine that with your ornaments when you're getting your tree. You know, what do you call that? Decorated. Uh, I love the kid talked about Christmas decolations. That was my favorite video. I'm looking forward to Christmas decolations. We've got some nice ones here. The ladies put a lot of work in. Looks great. But, you know, no one expects it to hover in the air. You can't. You've got to have something to hook it on. I know uh, they were talking about putting these things up, and they kept falling down. That little garland kept falling down, falling down. Why? Because of gravity. When you get out, of, out into outer space, you no longer have to worry about that. Here's what's interesting. It's not just the earth floating. It's the earth floating in a fixed place. You know, we wouldn't have sunrise, sunset. We wouldn't have passage of time. We wouldn't have, everything is built on the fact that our earth spins on nothing in place. It's amazing. That's what God's done. And he goes on here in chapter 26, verse 8. He said, he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. Okay, he's talking about the north over the empty place, he's stretching it out, and he's binding up waters in thick clouds that are not rent. What does that mean? They don't come apart. You know, that basically, it's like a sheet. We, when we think of clouds, we think of these big, puffy cotton balls that morph and change from elephants into, you know, bicycles, and they're all over the place. But that's not these clouds. These clouds are tight together and they cannot be pulled apart. Look at verse 9. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the water, the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. All right, so the sea of glass, this is the sea of glass he's talking about. These waters that are not rent, 
They're not malleable. They are, they're stiff. They're held together. And they are hiding. So you know what's crazy? Man will not be able to invent a telescope that can see into their heaven where God lives because there is a whole bunch of water that God has bound into a cloud and it hides the face of his throne. You can't see it because God has hidden it. Mankind says, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Of course, they said that right up until the time they realized that bacteria kills you. They couldn't see it until they got a microscope. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that we have never seen in the depths of the ocean. And it always, it's interesting to me about how proud we can be. We're done with this world. We need a new earth. We need a new planet. We don't even know what's in the bottom of the oceans. Why? The pressure is so great, mankind can't survive down there. I mean, you just saw that, that uh, Titanic little submer- submersible, whatever it was, that went down and imploded. There was a major problem. Why? It's different down there. When you start talking about how much we know and all the stuff we've seen, you ever see those deep sea creatures? You look at those things and you think, what? That's not an earth creature. No, it's a sea creature. There's a whole lot more that's going on than we, we sometimes think you understand. You know the reason why I believe, uh, I was just thinking about this week, the reason why we believe certain things is because it's comfortable to believe them. It's easier. I don't like n- learning new stuff and having to readjust my mind. I don't care what they're teaching down there at church as long as it's what they've always taught. There's a lot of people that way. They're not interested in, in what the scripture says. They're interested in what the church teaches because it's easier. It's hard. Hey, I don't like learning new stuff. I've been learning some stuff recently. I said, no, I don't want it. I don't want to hear that. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's human nature. What I'm showing you here is something that may stretch you out a little bit, but it's okay. If it's in the Bible, you're going to be fine. You don't have to worry about it. God's not going to, you're not going to get in trouble. Uh, let's see here. So let's go to Proverbs, uh, no, Job 38, Job 38. Now I won't take the time to, to there because we're in Job, but in chapter 30, verse four of Proverbs, he said, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. So we're going to Job 38. Look at verse 29. Out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven who hath gendered it? You say, you're telling me that God birthed the ice? We're not talking about the ice here on the earth or the hoary frost. Hoary means white. Uh, We're not talking about that. And by the way, you know, um, the Bible says that men did eat angels' food. uh, Angels' food, not angels' food cake. But angels' food, what is angels' food? What was that? Manna. Who can tell me, what did it look like? What was the color of it? It was like the hoar frost. There's, there's a connection somehow between the manna that God sent. It was, it was like direct from God's kitchen. Like angels, you can skip a meal for 40 years. We're sending it. I don't know exactly how that works. I don't know. But there is a connection. If you're interested, you can follow that through. Just that word, hoary, H-O-A-R-Y. The hoary frost of heaven. Verse 30. The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. 
Canst thou bind the sweet influences of, of, of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Mazaroth in his season? Or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Can you make it operate on the earth like it operates in heaven? No, we can't. But did you see the, the waters there? What waters? The waters that are above the firmament. They're hid with a stone. What is that? It's a frozen sea. It's the sea of glass. That's where it is, up there. So that's the same thing we saw in Revelation 15. A sea of glass, like unto crystal, uh, frozen. And it's, uh, it is upon which the throne of God is set. Let's go now to Exodus chapter 24. Now this is, a, this is another one that is... Um, I'll just say interesting. Exodus 24. Look at verse number 9. Exodus 24. This is they came, they came out. The children of Israel received the law of Moses in chapter 20. And then there was some complaining, some whining. Uh, people saying, who gives you the right? So forth. And so the Lord said, hey, you guys come up here. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, 70 of the elders. And I will give you the inside track. And they saw, it says, verse, 20, verse 9, they, I'm sorry, verse 10, And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. What's a sapphire stone? It's, it's a clear, bluish stone. So here this is the, this, this perfect, perfectly clear, hard surface, and as it were, notice it said, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness, like the sky on a perfectly clear day. What was it? Paved work of a sapphire stone. Now, I'm going to throw something at you. This is crazy. It's probably, it's probably nothing, and I probably shouldn't even say it. But I have a little bent towards weird stuff sometimes, so you just hang in there. Look at verse 12. Sapphire stone, verse number 10. The Lord says, come up to me in the mount, be there, and I will give thee tables of stone. Now, we always think that's just granite. That just comes right out of the rock where Moses was standing. God just took it and carved it. Well, maybe so. But in the context, you have a sapphire stone upon which God is standing. That's where his throne is. And uh, I don't know what that means. But uh, I, I just think it's interesting that maybe somehow or other the law of God is connected with the very throne of God where he is. But again, I, I'm trying to emphasize this. This is, this is just a wild thought. I don't know that I can prove that one so whatever. By the way, it's okay to have any thought that you want about Scripture as long as if you can't prove it, you back down. If you, can't, if you can't prove it, but you really want it to be true, that's called pride. <laughs> You've got you to let it go. Have, have you ever had God ruin your perfect theories about the Bible? If you haven't studied your Bible, you've never experienced that. But if you study your Bible, you're like, oh, that means that, and that means that. Hey, if, <laughs> someone will come along and say, yeah, but you forgot this. And then you're like, well, yeah, but maybe... Well, just relax. It's not your book. It's not mine. It's his. And we're privileged. He lets us like work in the mines and find all kinds of cool stuff. But uh, that's, I'm just throwing that out just to let you know that I'm crazy like you are. Now, look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Uh, this paved work of a sapphire stone. 
that clear blue, Ezekiel is another guy that had a vision of the throne room. The throne room. You say, well, you know, what are you talking about? I, I never heard this stuff before. Again, it's in the Bible. Compare spiritual things with spiritual. That is the words of God with the words of God. And, uh, and this is how you learn. You find more stuff. Man, alive. Look at Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel is at the, uh, he, he sees when the glory of God departs. And he's riding a cherub. Amazing. But look at verse 22. In the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature, the four beasts in Revelation, uh, that's the living creature. We found out about that when we studied before. The likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of the terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. So above the heads of these beasts, the stretched out crystal called a firmament. Now, I don't know that we know that there's a firmament, a space between the waters and waters. Is there a firmament that's above that, a space? I don't know. But the word is used. Look at verse 26. So this, this space, that's what a firmament means. This is not the same firmament of the first heaven that, that, that we live in or that we can see. This is something above. This is, this is way up there. Above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne. Okay, so above the firmament was a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. So here we have this throne, the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. Now, why is he saying likeness, likeness, likeness? Because he's not really sure what he's seeing. He is... Writing it down, saying, this is what I think I saw. And you'll see that in Revelation a lot. As it were, like unto, over and over again. And uh, is the Bible literal? Yes. But when the literal word, like unto, is used, it's okay to say it's something like that. If the scripture says, as it were, uh, like unto, then we know. Okay, well, it may not exactly be that, but from a human standpoint that's never been to heaven before, that's what it looks like to me. And so that's why the Lord allows him to use that phrase. So it says there's a, there's a like appearance of a man above upon it, so upon the throne is a man. So it's interesting. Every time you see it in the Bible, it's, it's like this giant ice cube of some kind, this, this firmament thing that is clear and smooth and bright. It's like a mirror. It's like a sapphire stone. And we've seen that that is reflecting the glory of God. It's reflecting God's glory. Now, let's look at the next point, which is Roman numeral four. That sea reflects the holiness of God. It reflects the holiness of God. It's the, the character and nature of God himself. You get close to God and you will see the things around him are a reflection of who he is. Okay, so that's why in your life, if you're not close to God, you don't care about God, you'll find that your life does not reflect his character. So what is holiness? Well, holiness is not smoking and drinking. Well, that would be maybe an extension, but holiness is a desire for God to get the glory. That's what holiness is. So you don't have to worry about, am I holy enough? You have to worry about, you have to think about this and care about, do I want God to get glory in this thing? 
it's easier. It's actually a positive way of looking at it rather than a negative way. Because what happens when we, some people talk about holiness, what they really mean is hating sin. Well, as long as I hate the sin that I don't do, I'm holy. Right? If I hate a sin, if I hate smoke, I'll tell you one thing, I can't stand it, is smoking. I think if God wanted you to smoke, he would have turned your nose upside down for a chimney. I think if you smoke, you're basically pre-lit before you go to hell. I mean, I've heard preaching like that. Okay, so let's, let's just take a time out. You know why it's easy for me to preach against smoking? Because I don't smoke. I never have. Frankly, I've, I've wondered what is it like to take a drag and have all that hot tar come rushing into my lungs. Must be amazing. <laughs> now, I know that people do it, and I'm not, you know, criticizing, cutting you down if you do it. I'm just simply saying it's easy for me to say that I'm holier than that because I don't do it. You know what? There are some things that I do. And rather than looking around and saying, well... I may not do everything, but I, I should do. But I, I'll tell you what, I don't do. Like, if I do something bad, it's not as bad as what she does, right? How about this? Turn around and say, Lord, in this area, am I reflecting your glory? If I'm not reflecting your glory, I'm not reflecting your holiness. Because the glory of God and the holiness of God is one and the same. It is, it is the power and character of God emanating from him. God wants that to be my, he wants my life to emanate his glory. Okay. So that's what this, this sea of glass is doing. It's reflecting the holiness of God. Go to Exodus chapter 30. The glory of God is, has, has always been manifested in absolute purity, absolute purity. And we find that that sea is represented in the Old Testament in the wilderness tabernacle. I want to show you this picture. I think it's the next picture. The tabernacle. Okay, here's what this looks like. And, and, the, and the, you'll notice on the far right up there, there's the ark. And you see these cherubim. The cherubim, they're over the mercy seat. What does the mercy seat represent? What is the piece of furniture in heaven that's represented by the mercy seat on earth. Does anybody know? It's the throne. It's the throne of God. It's the presence of God. He dwelleth between the cherubim. It's amazing. That's exactly what happens in heaven. The cherubim are around the throne of God. God was setting up, and what you'll find in the tabernacle is that it's not set up horizontally. It's set up, I'm sorry, vertically, like it is in heaven. There's things vertically set up. But because we have to deal with a little thing called gravity on earth, he sets it up horizontally. Okay? Um, he, he could have, if he wanted to, he could have had the ark, you know, floating up above. I mean, he had the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and so forth, but he didn't do that. He used human confinement and human boundaries, and he set it up. He shows us. Here's what it's like. But notice, when you walk in the front gate, the first thing you have is the altar, the, burn, the altar of sacrifice. And then, do you see the next thing? The laver. Exodus 30 is where we are. Exodus 30, verse 18. Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it with, uh, between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, just like it is... Um, 
Now, and thou shalt put water therein, verse 19, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water. Why? Well, here's a simple reason, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. And he goes on to talk about how you don't want to die, so make sure you wash. Sounds like my mom growing up. Don't forget to wash. If you forget to wash, you're going to die. Why? Because mankind is inherently sinful. You get close to God. Something has to be done with your sin. What are you going to do with your sin? Well, I'll tell you what most humans do. They say, it's not really sin. They justify it, right? But the Lord says, no, I got, I got the answer. The answer is you've got to wash. Now, by the way, these are the, the tribe, this is the tribe of Levi, the people that are specifically chosen. They have specific clothes. They're trained. They only get to, to uh, serve one time out of two years, 24 courses of priests. It's not like these guys are just sitting around on their hands. The Lord said, I don't care how special or unique or, or biologically uh, correct you are. You have to wash when you come near me. Okay, so that'll give you an answer. What you don't feel close to God? A lot of times, if it's not an attack of the devil, the devil can lie to you and say that something's wrong in your life when it's not. Keep that in mind. But if it's not the devil attacking your mind, it could be your lack of holiness, your lack of purity in your life, that you don't feel close to God. I just wish God would make me feel this way. The Lord said, I will not share my glory with another. I am not going to let you reflect what you want and reflect what I want at the same time. If you're going to be close to me, you've got to reflect what I want. I am almighty God. I shine, you reflect. And if you're trying to shine something else that is going against my glory, you can't get near to me. So he's going to stiff arm you. He's going to push you away. He's going to hold you at arm's length. Yes, even as, you're, as a child of God. And the Lord said, uh, he told the church there in Corinth to, to commit this man who was living in adultery, to commit, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. Why? This guy wanted to live contrary to God. And the Lord said, hey, church of Corinth, come together and just, let, just turn him over spiritually. They had a church service. They said, Lord, just want to pray for this man. We pray the devil would take him and kill him as soon as possible so that he can get to heaven without any more sin. That's what they prayed. I don't know if anybody would show up for that prayer meeting. Right? But that's what happened. Why? Because the Lord said, I can't fellowship with you if you're going to be living in sin. Now, you can be saved and be a sinner. How many realize that's true? All right? But if you want to walk with the Lord, you can't be doing the stuff that you know is wrong. If you're doing that stuff, it's no surprise that you can't get close to God. Well, what that stuff? Well, sometimes it changes as you, as you go through life. It's not always the same stuff. Sometimes you have to really ask God for discernment. What is it, Lord, between you and I? What is it? What am I doing? What's the attitude that I have? The way I've been taught? I don't know what it is. Now, we've got to keep going. I want to show you this, though. This is, this is wild. Look at chapter 38 of Exodus. Let's go to the next uh, slide, if you would, Mrs. Feldman. All right, here's a closer picture. These guys are washing. Here's another rendition of what someone thought it might look like. You don't know exactly. Laver of brass. Look at chapter 38, verse 8. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass. All right, so there's a foot there. What did he make it out of? Of the looking glasses of the women assembly, 
which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. We understand they did not have mirrors like you and I think of mirrors. I don't know much about mirrors. Maybe you do. But it was something, it, these mirrors were polished brass that showed a reflection. And so here we have this sea of glass, like under crystal, that's before the throne of God. Isn't that amazing? This is what God is doing. He's showing Israel what heaven is like. He did that in the Old Testament. And he continued. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 4. 2 Chronicles chapter 4. He extends the picture even more as we go to 2 Chronicles. This is Solomon's temple. In Solomon's temple, it says, 2 Chronicles chapter 4. Also he made, verse number 2, also he made a molten sea of ten cubits from brim to brim. This was, this was a gigantic bowl that he made. So it was fairly small. It had to be portable to be carried in the wilderness. But now when, when Solomon did this thing, it was like 3,000 baths of uh, 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 capability, size that it could, that could hold. And look at verse number 4. It stood upon 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, three looking toward the east, and the sea, the sea, was set above upon them. Now look at this, this picture. Next. Here it is on the bottom right hand. This is uh, the temple that Solomon made, a representation of it. And over here on the right you see this sea. Why don't you see the water pouring into it? And there's 12 oxen around it. So you've got these beasts and then a sea. It's called a sea. Now we say it's not a sea, it's a bowl. It's a, it's a container. Well, the Lord called it a sea. Why? He wants us to see the connection. He wants us to, to, to realize what it's like up in heaven. It's, I mean, how, how else? The Lord could have said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a frozen piece of glass that just hovers in the air wherever you go. You know, isn't it, you ever wish sometimes that God would just peel back heaven and show us the thing and then we'd be good to go? You wouldn't be good to go. The Lord said, you're going to walk by faith. He, he determined he's going to work through human agents. He's going to work through earthly laws. And he, he's not, that's why when people say, I saw Jesus hovering in the air. Probably not. Probably not. Why? People don't hover in the air. Now, when Jesus Christ himself was here, he did do miracles. And he, he ascended. Why? Because he's the son of God who created the world. He can suspend the laws of creation. But, but stop looking at your Christian life like, Lord, I just wish you would magically make this tire inflate. Well, maybe God could do that. And there, there, people say things. I mean, I, you hear things. Wow, it's crazy. It's awesome. But you can't put your hope and trust in that. Why? Our hope is not in the suspension of miracles, our hope is in God who has the power to suspend things if he wants to. If God wants to, God could make every person in this room 10 years younger. Like that. Now some of you are like, please not 10, make it 11. I don't know what was going on 10 years ago. But God's not going to do that. You know, we talk about how it's, I just wish God would show miracles. Give me a miracle. You know, Jesus turned water into wine, right? The first miracle that he performed at the wedding in Cana. And we say, wow, that's awesome. God, God just, he just turned water into wine. Well, do you know God turns water into wine every year? 
Water comes down out of the sky into the vineyards. And the vineyards give forth the grapes. And the grapes turn into wine. God does it every year. But nobody thinks that's a miracle. Which it is. It's a miracle. Just like we have take for granted and, and our culture is, is so twisted in that we look at babies as unwanted liabilities. Let's get rid of this massive protoplasm. Get rid of this tissue. What is this growth inside of me? Get rid of it. It's a miracle. Human life is a miracle. There wasn't an eternal soul before. Now there is. That's a miracle. It happens all the time. But you know what? We look at it and we say, well, God, why don't you do this and this and this and this for me? And the Lord's saying, you mean on top of all the other miracles that I've done for you? Now, God can and God loves you. But I'm just telling you, if you're waiting, I'm just hoping and praying and waiting for a miracle. If that was true, you would see a lot more admonitions for God uh, that God would tell us in Scripture, you need to be praying for miracles. You know what God's interested in? He's interested in the spiritual realm, the spirit of man. He's interested. You know what we're interested in? The physical. Make me, you know, uh, some macaroni and cheese appear out of thin air and I'll know there's a God. The fact that there is such a thing as macaroni and cheese, we don't think that's a miracle. The fact that I have taste buds, the fact that I can take that, put it in me, and it can give me energy, we don't think about that. You see how sometimes we just, we, we walk right past what God is doing, and we say, God, if you would do this, then I would know and I would believe. I can't explain to you why God leaves some people sick, God heals some people. Some people are, you know, they die at 100 years of age, some people die at one year of age. I do not know the answer to that. All I know is this. The God who made it possible for people to live at all is still very much alive and working behind the scenes. And he is, he is working in your life as well. The sea of glass here is reflecting the holiness of God. Notice in, in chapter 4, verse 6 of Second Chronicles, it's the same thing. The sea... At the end of the verse, chapter 4, verse 6, the sea was for the priest to wash in. But look at verse 4. Isn't that interesting? The 12 oxen, and then on top of that was the sea. The sea was sitting above these beasts. The sea was sitting above these beasts. Let's go to, well, the, go to the next page, if you would. That, there's another picture of it. You know, you think about, what, what is this? I mean, Why? What is the deal? What is the bowl of water? The Lord is picturing the throne room of heaven on earth. It's amazing. Go to Ezekiel now, if you would. Ezekiel. Did I say Ezekiel? No, we already went there. We already went there. We already went there. We saw the sapphire. We saw all that. But did you notice in that, we talked about how you had, um, in Ezekiel, you had above these beasts was this stretched out crystal called a firmament. Did you see that? And that's kind of like here, just like that. You know what was really sad? They, they sold these away because God's blessing came off. They tore this thing down and they, and they brought that bowl and set it on a pavement of stones. Picturing God's gone. We don't do things his way anymore. We do whatever we have to do because we need the money really sad because uh, God, God told Hiram, he told Hiram how to do it, taught him how to do it. 
And Hiram came out and he built all this stuff to show how great and glorious the God of Israel was and lifted him up. Let me encourage you, be careful making decisions that affect your spiritual life in the financial area. Be careful missing church because you need to give the kids what you never had. Okay, I use quotation marks because it's a bunch of nonsense. Your kids don't know unless you tell them. Now, I'm glad because you're here tonight, so you're not missing work. Listen, uh, or you're not missing church because of work. I understand there are circumstances that come up and we can't, we can't do it. But I would promise you there's, there's, there's a lot of men here tonight, a lot of women here tonight that said, I've consciously chosen to put God first, work second. This is, this is tough sledding. You know why? Because Americans worship money. We, we worship having stuff. And what we think, well, if it's a good thing, then I should be allowed to have it. Yeah, but we're not talking about just a good thing. We're talking about what's the best thing, right? The best thing is to honor God, honor the Lord, and then let God provide. When's the last time you had to pray for him to provide anything? You know, we've almost basically erased God out of our life. We don't have to have faith about anything. All we have to do is work harder. And it's good to work harder. But could it be that maybe God wants you to trust him? What happens is this. You, I was thinking about some folks today. They started making decisions about their finances and said, well, you know what? I'm, getting, I'm just getting tired of not having this and not having that. Well, okay. Ask God. Let me have this. But, but really, stop and think about it. Would you say, God, if I can't have that truck, I am not going to follow you anymore? Of course, you probably wouldn't say that. But eventually, it just kind of goes that way, doesn't it? You got the truck, but you don't have God. You got the vacation, but you don't have the virtue. Had to alliterate it for you. Why? I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have good stuff. I'm saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here, I'd, I'd rather be happy in God and be able to lock, put my head on the pillow and say, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. You've been so good to me. And you know what? It'd be kind of nice to have a hamburger, but man, if I, if I had to choose my hamburger and you, God, you all day, every day. And see, what happens is God will take the hamburger away from you because he wants to see, like Abraham and Isaac, will you, will you offer up what's most important? And then you follow God and say, God, I never had a hamburger, nothing. God will give you a whole truckload of hamburgers. That's just the way he is. But he knows that you're not going to serve him for the hamburgers. I'm not against hamburgers, in case you're wondering. You've got to say that for Baptists. Okay, let's finish up tonight. Let's finish up. Look at Revelation, back to Revelation 4. I want you to see, and, uh, and I want to show you one more graphic here. Revelation 4, and look at verse 6. I want you to see the distinction between 4 and 15. 4 and 15. The sea of glass is mingled with fire, reflecting the judgment of God. Notice, 4, 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. All right? Chapter 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. What's the difference? Well, now you've got tribulation stand, saints standing on it. When John saw it first, there was nobody standing on it. This is right after the, the rapture, chapter 4. 
In 15, now you've got these tribulations standing on it, tribulation saints, and it's different than when Job or Moses or Ezekiel saw it. Nothing is mentioned about fire. This time it's mingled with fire. You see, after all these thousands of years, God has revealed himself as a God of love and a God of holiness and purity and compassion and all that, and his wrath has been filling up. And it's not until the second half of the tribulation period, which is where we are in Revelation 15, that his wrath actually fills up. It is filling up. God has a, a measure. At this point here, halfway through, it's this, this, this glass is mingled with fire. Why? Because the fire is the reflection of his wrath, of his judgment. God is about to rain judgment on the earth. God's wrath and judgment, this is an important point for you to understand. God's wrath and judgment proceed from his holiness. That's where they come from. We sometimes think, well, God is holy and that's over here. And then sometimes God gets really mad. At what? He gets mad at sin. He gets mad at rebellion. He gets mad at iniquity. Why? Because he's holy. It's the same reason why you don't want somebody tramping their muddy feet on your clean kitchen floor. It's detestable to you. When, 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 you know, let's say you have a dog like we do. Gets in the trash, knocks the trash all over the floor. Oh, well, that's the way it is. You know, trash just sometimes is on the floor. Eggshells, you know, and coffee grounds, and that's just the way it is. You know what? You know what? Uh, uh, every person in this, almost every person, I should say, certainly every woman, it's disgusting to you. Disgusting means I can't stand it. I hate it. I can't live in a house like this. That's how God feels about sin. You drag your disgusting sin all over the floor. I can't have it. But he puts up with it, and he puts up with it. And now this sea of glass frozen like on a crystal is starting to catch fire. His wrath is heating up. You find in chapter 16, what comes on the earth? Fire. And it scorches men, one of the vials. You know what else comes? Hailstones. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I just think it's pretty crazy that that frozen sea of glass now is on fire, and somehow these hailstones that are gigantic are now coming out of heaven hitting people. And I'm not saying it's the sea of glass, but I just can't help but make the connection. There, there is a limit, and God says, that is enough. I'm not putting up with it anymore. Christian, how holy, how much like God's holiness are you? How, how well do you reflect the holiness of God? What's your limit to sin? Is there a limit? Where you say, no, no more. There used to be different limits on sin in America. When, when uh, Ozzie and Harriet first came on television, they wouldn't show the man and, and wife who were actually husband and wife, literal husband and wife, they would not show them in bed together. They showed them in separate beds. Or, you know, of course, back in those days, you had to have a good smoke before you go to bed, right? But what happened over time, things change, standards change. The limits of, of what we allow in our lives change, and it keeps going and going and going. You know what God says? I'm giving you space, giving you space, but I'm not changing. And people think that God giving them space means he's changing. He's not. He has not changed. And the, because the, 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 the Bible says uh, the, the, the heart of man is fully set in them to do wickedness because uh, judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily. So people think, oh, God's okay with it. I want you to go back and think about this. We talked about it in 1 John. God is light and God is love. God has absolute perfect love, 
because he is love. But the same God is also perfect hate because he is light. And you'll never appreciate that God loves sinners until you understand just how much that holy, righteous God hates sin. But what's so wonderful about this? I want you to see that picture. What's so wonderful? That looks more like water than it does ice. But what is so wonderful about this is that is where those tribulation saints are standing. They're standing as victors in the presence of God. The sea of glass mingled with fire is the revelation of God's absolute holiness. Absolute. And in the middle of all his righteousness and his wrath and fury, they are standing on it. You know what they're standing on? They're standing on the holiness of God. The tribulation saints are standing on the holiness of God. And I just can't help but think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You and I, as believers, are literally standing on the holiness of God. People get confused on this and they say, I'm trying to be better. I want to be a Christian. I, I want to I be saved. I want to be born again. I'm trying to be better. Forget it. You'll never get to heaven on your righteousness or your holiness. The only thing that you can stand on or I can stand on in the very presence of a God who is about to pour his wrath out, the only thing you can stand on is his holiness, his righteousness. And because he has offered it to you, you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. You can know that everything is okay between you and God, not because you have done better, but because he has given you a free gift. And what that does is it makes you realize, wow, that great God who is light, blinding, burning light, he's also love. And you know what he's saying to you tonight? He's saying, stand on my holiness. You know what maybe you ought to do tonight, Christian? You ought to get on your knees and say, God, I've been trying to live this Christian life in my own power and strength and I can't do it. You know, the Lord loves to hear you talk that way. Because when I am weak, then am I strong. When you feel like you're a total loser and you can't do it, you ought to look up and say, God, I can't be the mom. I can't be the husband. I can't be the employee. I can't do this anymore. God, I need your strength. And you know what he does? He comes in and he says, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you all along. I want you to know how great I am. I'm so thankful for the holiness of God. I'm thankful for the love of God and how in our great God, he meets us right where we are. All right, we're going to go to prayer in just a moment.